Blog Talk Radio.
We earlier had scheduled to have the theme for tonight, which would have been part two, affecting human development and bodies. But we have decided because we realized that we have had some difficulties in terms of communicating the necessary information, the technical needs in terms of the um, display uh, a discussion that will entail that particular theme. We're going to postpone that for today's program. And what we're going to do is we're going to open it up to everyone. Now we're open discussion, open topic, on issues and views that may be on your mind that you would like to discuss with the listening world. So today is the open topic day. This is what we're going to do today on Africa on the Moon. Again, you can call me in at 323-679-0841. And like always, the way we get started with our party on the 1st of April, 2021, is to introduce you to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. So right now, we're going to bring in Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome. Brother, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <laughs> my name is Haki Tamati Mishoki, currently with African Awareness. And you know, Brother Africa, my thing is all about institution building. You know, one of the things that, you know, you talk about uh, a lot, Brother Africa, the question in terms of the forms that, that war takes. Often we think of war in, in more, uh, more cavalier kinds of terms in which, you know, you have, you know, competing parties, you know, competing parties, you know, firing at one another. And that understanding that war takes many forms, specifically uh, psychological warfare. And one of the things that the U.S. is very, very good at doing is a kind of psychological warfare. Now, one of the things that uh, specifically that they do in terms of um, this warfare that I keep alluding to is this, this create, the creation of desperation as a social control. Now, normally we think when we think about, um, uh, you know, desperation, we talk about, you know, a situation where we have so much unemployment, so much homelessness, you think ideally that would be a very bad thing to happen. But in fact, what happens is that uh, governments can use that to their benefit. In fact, it's more efficient in terms of actually, you, you know, exacerbating or making worse the situation in terms of homelessness, unemployment, so forth and so on, because you have more control over people. But in any event, it's a very interesting concept. So anyway, I just thought I want to just something I was just thinking about around that concept in terms of creation of desperation and social control. And so I hope people, uh, you know, um, appreciate this because I think, you know, this is, this is, this is very, um, uh, very important in terms of grasping because when we talk about, you know, trying to bring about real change, then we got to understand the subtleties that the ruling class utilize in terms of maintaining the oppression of, 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 of poor people in the society. Any of you in Brother Africa, uh, listen to this. Now, the level of cunning and gal employed by the capitalist state is nothing short of extraordinary. Its ability to coerce populations into participating in their own oppression is uncanny. Its ability to deceive belies a genuine motive by elites to utilize social control as a means to facilitate the exploitation of the populace, while simultaneously ratcheting up a sense of disempowerment among the populace. This social control is not exerted in the traditional sense, like values, more race, or tradition that establishes norms in society, but through economic policy that functions as a peonage system, whereby one's very existence is dependent upon the willingness, conscious or unconscious, to concede to the demands of the state, irrespective of the level of abuse or exploitation 
exploitation inflicted on the individual. Now, in the context of capitalism, to ensure maximum compliance of the population, the level of austerity or hardship has rapidly increased since the 80s. During this time period, the level of debt for working people began its upward trajectory. Upward trajectory was due in no small part to financialization of the economy. Financialization viewed industrialization as secondary. Now, under financialization, wealth for the rich could easily be obtained by investments. Maximizing returns on investments could best be utilized by shipping jobs and or factories abroad, where lower wages paid to farm workers translated into bigger dividends, which spurred more investments for the wealthy. Meanwhile, the debt peonage or debt slavery of the populace increased exponentially. Education, housing, health care costs all began to increase. Now, media assured the populace, you know, when, in, in regard to these things, they ensured the populace that, you know, as prices began to increase, that these increase in prices were only temporary, a minor glitch resulting from inflation that would be remedied in no time. What they did not tell the people was that inflation was the direct result of deindustrialization or the offloading of hundreds of thousands of jobs. Now, this previous system has long historical roots. Now, after Reconstruction in 1877, the previous system was used to ensure Africans were indebted in order to ensure the continued exploitation of their labor. Typically, wealthy planters used sharecropping loans or terms of the transactions, ensuring indebtedness for long terms or even lifetime, in which the African must work for free to pay off those loans. The correlation between indebtedness and servitude has been established, and it's, and it's a thing capitalists continue to profit from. Now, now, according to Thomas Gorky from the Debt Collective, Henry Ford, the, the industrialist, wanted workers to have mortgages because their indebtedness ensures subservience and a better, a better candidate to exploit. Ford, Ford understood compliance by labor was guaranteed, and the fear of homelessness meant labor would be willing to endure any level of exploitation regardless of the physical danger or the humiliation involved. Now, this formula of social control has been widely affected. Establishing examples of the repercussions of not participating in one's own exploitation has been highlighted ad nauseum by media outlets that work hand-in-hand with the capitalist class. Equally impressive is the media's ability to conceal information that will provide clarity as it relates to the needless hardships inflicted on 90% of the population. Never does the media point out wages in the U.S. have been suppressed since the 70s. Tribute gains should see a corresponding increase in wages, but that has not materialized. Based upon productivity gains or the level of business activity, the minimum wage currently should be in excess of $20 an hour. Of course, confronted with the reality of 40% of the U.S. population live in abject poverty, and by the way, 40% of the children also, many conclude working for $7.25 an hour is preferable to no income at all. This philosophy is precisely what the social system seeks to inculcate in the minds of working people. However, by no stretch of the imagination are all people accepting a government platitudes which endorses the acceptance of one's own exploitation. In a country that rewards the top 1% when 8 out of every $10 created by the government goes to the wealthy, according to Christian Hedges, the anger created is palpable. Dissolution of mass anger is key to political elites maintaining control in a society fraught with structural inequality. The methodology normally employed by elites uses scapegoating to label those seeking a new paradigm as malcontents. Former President Bill Clinton, in order to avoid government culpability, blamed the poor for refusing to work. Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act, 
peace of mind, the problem in society is threefold. One is a problem with single parents, single parent households. Secondly, having children out of wedlock. And thirdly, fathers not providing for their children. Ironically, his throwback concept is not new. What he conveniently omits is the problem he elucidates could all be resolved by meaningful employment and access to quality education. Perhaps this omittance lies in the fact many re- <clears throat> money required to address the social ills reduces access to available money for the wealthy to invest further in their, further in their wealth. Little wonder uh, Cory Booker's federal job guarantee bill is finding little traction in Congress. Willing to spend unspecified amounts of money for war, believing in the tens of trillions of dollars, $600 billion, $600 billion is simply too much to invest in your citizens. This type of reason speaks to why social control that renders citizen poverty is so important to the ruling elites. Now, the instability or ultimate exceptions created in poor people's lives not only exist to aid social control, but strategically necessary to keep poor people stressing over their existence. Precariousness or uncertainty of their existence has a way of creating people who are pliable, if not docile, or accommodating to wealth. Belief that wealthy individuals hold the destination in their hands, such individuals are not likely to advocate for a better world. The challenge for the state is to create more people with this inclination to view rich people with deference. The process of reinforcing personal inadequacy of the poor is best facilitated by wealth concentration. Wealth concentration puts more money in the hands of fewer people, thereby consolidating their power. Increased power means increased influence, which translates into more concise coercion and manipulation of the masses. The crisis of the mass psychological planning is essentially streamlined where the pursuit of finances for the maintenance of the system lies in fewer hands. Access to funding depends on the level of effectiveness in propagating information which conceals the structural inequality of the system. In the case of ALEC, the American Legislative Executive Committee, they have been very successful in pro-corporate agenda while pushing the country to the right. This rightward gift is only possible to the extent masses don't grasp the manipulation or nationalism blinds them to history. Either way, narratives established by the political elite has been effective in getting many people to walk and think in lockstep. And so we got to be very, very concerned about that. And one final thing, Brother African, let me just add this and I conclude. I think one of the things that recently there was an article and they talked about a, a lawyer by the name of Heather Shanner. And uh, what she's doing, she's representing a lot of the January 6th insurrectionists. And what she do is trying to awake them to the reality of what's going on in society. So she encourages them to read books. Well, the response from the people that she represents uh, and the people that, uh, that, that, that know her personally has been one of antagonism. Their position is that for her to recommend that uh, people should read books about the history of the country uh, is, is kind of like um, it's, it's equivalent to Nazi brainwashing. So this notion that, you know, enlightenment and, and knowledge is some equivalent, is equal to uh, Nazism, it's very, very ironic. Uh, but, of, but of course, one of the things, once you buy into the social conditioning, then this notion in terms of, you know, enlightenment, this notion in terms of understanding the society better than what you live in, is something that people who in, in, embrace the social conditioning, they reject. Because their position is that they know, they know everything about what it is to be known. And so, therefore, any additional information is simply propaganda. And so that is precisely what the, what the ruling elite wants to inculcate in the minds of people. So as long as you got people thinking that to be educated, to be enlightened, to understand what's going on in the world, to understand your place in the world, 
uh, once people start thinking that that's a bad thing, then of course then they're totally vulnerable to uh, uh, social social propaganda or, or misinformation. So clearly, you know, this this question around social control is something that we have to address. Something we have to be um, uh, uh, conscious about. And so when we read and we listen and we see and we observe, we can understand the implications behind everything we see, read, and hear. And understanding that there's always a message behind what we see, reading here. And so once people understand it, I think it's just, just a question of time before people come to the realization that there's something fundamentally wrong with the society and that the kind of um, hardships that they endure are not only uh, unjustifiable but anti-inhumane. In, so now I close with that, Brother African. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I also support the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes, women hold up half the sky. Thank you, thank you, thank you again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. Going with Brother Moses, we're going to bring in uh, callers, 763 
we would not just ask for a number, so we would just have an open topic. All of these things that are going on around the world today, we'd like to know what's on your mind. So that's going to be the essence of our program today. But before we get to that part, like always, with our political panelists and analysts, we're going to bring them in right now, and you can shine in as well and discuss what's going on in your world and the community. And we'll ask Brother Haki to start us off. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, in, in, in keeping with, uh, you know, the uh, the wholeness of the struggle, uh, we, we, we we try to address everything relevant to the to the continent. Uh, one of the things is that uh, I was uh, approached by some 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 um, Kenyan brothers who wanted to know why we haven't uh, talked about uh, Kamafi, uh, Dedan Kamafi out of Kenya. And I informed him that we did in the past. You know, we we we, we talked about Kamafi, but he said he he did well. They didn't hear that. So I said, okay, well. Out of fairness, what I do, I'll, I'll, I'll do another piece on Kamathi, um, because the whole point is that, you know, all of the um, the, the individuals who make a make a contribution to the movement, we certainly want to acknowledge them, and certainly one of the uh, important aspects in terms of actually having, uh, you know, um, you know these, um, these these African revolutionaries on the continent, is they serve as an example for Africans throughout the diaspora, and so we desperately need that. So clearly, in that regard, Jadon Kamathi is extremely important in terms of history, and but he the buzzers are absolutely correct. But that's not a whole lot of discussion around Kamathi, and uh, you know, and so in that vein, I thought it would be in, in, the, in the interest of Africa on the move as we talk a little bit about Jadon Kamathi. But anyway, I want you to check this out, Brother Africa. Now, this is entitled "Honoring an African Soldier." Now, the emergence of Jadon Kamathi, who was born Kamathi Wanshuri. Is indicative of the other historical figures who rose to the occasion confronting systematic exploitation and deprivation at the hands of interlopers content to ruthlessly dis- destroy plunder for selfish ends. Kamathi, as a teen, had an intuitive understanding of human behavior. Characterized as a difficult youth, he was nicknamed Janguri, uh, meaning rough or treacherous in Kikuyu. Many historians conclude Kamathi's tough exterior was a result of a humiliation from other Africans that were inflicted upon him. In Kamafi's mind, the poor interpersonal skills exhibited by many Kenyans were symptomatic of the internalization of oppression, culminating in self-hatred, a sense of inferiority, and a belief in the superiority of the British invaders. Kamafi's suspicions were confirmed in hindsight. Now, looking at the methodologies employed by the British entailed the importation of religion and curriculum taught in British superior civilization. Both strategies were implemented in 1903. By 1920, tangible results resulted not only in the displacement of African people, but dispossession of African land, but much of the arable land belonging to the Kuyu people. It is worth noting by the 1900 Western invaders or colonizers owned more than 10 million square miles of African land. This translates to 20% of the of land mass of the entire world. Kamafi's sense of urgency was well justified. Colonization of Africa resulted in huge proceeds for the colonizers. Subjugating 90% of the African continent, the impact was palpable in Kenya. Establishing tension centers in Kenya, the idea was to eliminate resistance. But Kamathi, along with um, Musa Waraima, uh, Pia Gama Pinto, Bethoni 
Karima and General Bai Mungi had a different idea. Kamafi committed to the banner, I would rather die on my legs than live on my knees, assisted in the arduous task of screening potential freedom fighters. This task was critical if to avoid infiltration in the Mau Mau. Now, given the brutality inflicted upon the Kenyan population and the deaths of over 80,000 Kuyus in British detention camps, the tangible fear many Kenyans experienced demanded no mistakes be made during the vetting process. Kamafi's insight into human behavior was invaluable. Now, considering the field marshal of the Mau Mau, a name which is in dispute, Kamafi's struggles for a free Kenya, a free people, a free continent, was complicated by global system concocted by Otto van Bismarck of Germany called the Berlin Conference. Established in 1884, the goal of the conference was to partition Africa, loot Africa's resources equitably among the 14 major Western states. Now, the 14 major states that I'm referring to are Portugal, Russia, Spain, Sweden, UK, Norway, Ottoman Empire, Hungary, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, and, of course, the U.S. Now, the conference, like subsequent international agreements, like the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, or World Trade Organization, etc., especially agreed African lives are not important. Now, now against this backdrop, backdrop there were those opposed to Gamafi's use of, to achieve Kenya's independence. The use of the Kenyan Defense Council employing a hit and run to attack Britain's, Britain forces alienated British appointed officials of Kenyan descent who felt the status, their status would be tarnished if the Kenyan Defense Council was successful. Countervailing pressures by Kenyan officials contribute to the pressures Kamafi endured, but his resolve to liberate his country remained his focus. This resolve was further reinforced by a state of emergency declaration in 1952 in which over 10,000 Kenyans were killed and over 50,000 detained under colonial administration. Any thoughts of contemplating the rightness of the Kenyan officials' position must surely have eroded at this point. Kamafi continued to fight but was captured in 1957 and subsequently assassinated utilizing court proceedings via the colonial administration. Ironically, Kamafi's capture was a result of being shot by two militiamen, Kenyans, fighting for the colonial administration. Even though the level of casualties inflicted on the British colonialists was relatively small, between two to 500 soldiers, no doubt due to effectiveness of divide and conquer, Kamafi was instrumental in creating the conditions which affirmed Kenyans' worth or their self-esteem and the entitlement yearnings uh, in, in the hearts of all Kenyans. Against this backdrop, British authorities understood the fight has just begun. In 1963, Kenya achieved its independence from the UK. Even though this independence is on paper only, the reality is Kenya is far from independent. The question of simple fairness continues to evade the Kenyan people. In the case of Kimafi and others versus the Foreign and Commonwealth Office in the UK, the case attempts to address the human rights violations committed by British during the Mama movement, fascist limitation concerns. Even though Section 33 of the Limitation Act of 1980 states, if compelling reasons arise, the courts can hear the case. It was alleged also in 2019, after decades of trying to locate Kamafi's remains, the British government has finally relented. Is this not an indication of British contempt for the lesser state? Also, Professor P.L.O. Lamumba was moved from the Anti-Corruption Commission in one year. Removal of corrupt elements in the body politics is vital if a country wants to eliminate foreign intrusion into the political economic affairs of Kenya. The fact parliament members apparently place a higher premium on chai or bribes than creating an autonomous uh, state suggests the legacy supporting one's suppression or subjugation 
it still reigns supreme over genuine freedom for the Kenyan people. Surely this is not what Kamafi advocated or wants for Kenya or for the rest of Africa, for that matter. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. We're next going to go to our caller. I believe we have a special guest to just join us. And that last four numbers are 7570. We're going to bring in our guests, and they're going to give us an update on what's going on in our world movement. Call us 7570. Introduce yourself, and the mic is yours. 7570. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Peace and love. Can, Carlos, can you hear me clearly? Yes, we can, Carla. How you doing? Yes, we can. We can hear you. I'm well. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is uh, Lakeem Wimborne Bay with the Imam Jamil Alameen Action Network um, uh, calling in from Georgia uh, to give an update on the uh, campaign to free Imam Jamil Alameen, formerly known as HRAP Brown. Um, you know, we've, we've got uh, quite a bit of activity going on lately, uh, locally and uh, nationally. Um, one of the biggest things going on right now nationally is uh, on August 15th, we will have a, a, a press conference and, uh, and a protest uh, at, the, at the prison in Tucson, Arizona, um, at the federal penitentiary where uh, Imam Jamil is housed, um, you know, w- which is a, an important note in this case, how, how, how a brother that is a uh, so-called, you know, convicted in the state of Georgia as a state prisoner, but being held in, in uh, a federal facility, um, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. Um, you know, all of this is tactics to keep him from being a part of his own uh, campaign to free himself and to keep, uh, you know, those that are that are organizing around his case, uh, you know, out of contact and, 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 and displaced in, in regard and uh, keep him in between laws, you know, between state and federal jurisdictions to uh, keep him from from uh being able to be freed and so forth one of the things that's going on that's, uh uh yes sir no finish finish your um update my brother the mic is yours okay yeah and so um you know that's one event that we have come forthcoming um and let me give you the exact time on that that's uh sunday august uh 15th um, and the time on that is, and pardon my not having it right in front of me right this minute, but I, I will be there as the local coordinator for the Imam Jamir Action Network. Um, you have uh, representatives from a variety of, of organizations that will be uh, there uh, at the press conference and protesting on his behalf. Um, and so you have, uh, it's August 5th, 5 to 7 p.m., um, Mountain Standard Time. Um, that the the location is 9300 9300 South Wilmot Road, um, Tucson, Arizona, eight five seven five six. Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, um, former uh, NBA player and activist, will be presenting. Um, Omar Reagan, uh, actor and activist. Um, uh, Tone Trump, um, rapper and uh, influencer, and um, Imam Khalid Griggs, uh, also a member of the Imam Jamil Alami Action Network, will be speaking. Um, like I said, a variety of organizations are, are hosting the Students for Imam Jamil, the ICNA, Council for Social Justice, uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, Phoenix, um, the American Friends uh, Service Committee in Arizona, um, uh, CARE Arizona, 
um, Lucha, Mass Liberation Arizona, MANA, um, Muslim Alliance of North America, uh, the U.S. Council for Muslim Organizations. So a variety of organizations are represented there, and, um, you know, we'll all be uh, standing in solidarity uh, to free Imam Jamil. Um, you know, his health presently is, is uh, you know, he, he's uh, what you would consider legally blind. He's he's not able to see. He's supposed to have a surgery uh, years ago, um, and they kept pushing it off until now, uh, you know, COVID came around, and so they pushed it off to covid um, the last update was that he's finally uh, scheduled to be moved to another facility so that he can have this uh, surgery on his eyes. Um, and, you know, prayerfully, it will restore his vision. Um, but, you know, he cannot, he has to be guided around to walk right now. Um, you know, and this is the type of uh, 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 tactics that they use on our, on our freedom fighters. You know, someone who, who uh, fought for our rights with, with SNCC, the Black Panther Party, um, you know, became uh, on his freedom, um, converted to Islam, came to Atlanta, cleaned up the West End, uh, removed drugs and crime, uh, it, it much enlarged uh, by his work and efforts um, in that community. And, um, you know, this is this is how they treat our freedom. They, they uh, having gag orders where they can't communicate with media and speak on their own behalf, you know, all these things to keep us from them and them from us. Um, and, you know, we've not forgotten him. Uh, you know, we, we, we want to see him free, you know, uh, soon. We want to see him back in our community immediately. You know, we say free Imam Jamil now, free all political prisons, you know, what's the call, free them all. Um, you know, and there's so many others uh, that, are, that are dealing with similar situations. So, you know, that's, that's where we are right now. My brother, question, are there any um, means of the public writing to Jamil? I know you say you have been cut off for communicating with him. So I assume there are no way where the public can write, you know, write to him like, like you can within yes. some of the political prisons. Is that possible? Yes, and yes, indeed. Yes, there is a way. Let me uh, grab a grab a flyer and get you that information immediately. So, yes, there is a way to You can go online to what happened to rap, W H A T H A P P E N E D, the number two, R A P dot uh, com, and you can sign a petition uh, to free Imam Jamil. The integrity unit is uh, a part of the district attorney's office in Fulton County. Um, it's an entity that is designed out of integrity. This is this is a miscarriage of justice. We should do something about it. You know, Andrew inaugurated the uh, the conviction integrity unit that uh, the campaign to free Imam Jamil. Imam Jamil, um, uh, Alameen, his case should have been the first one to be looked at uh, by the Conviction Integrity Unit. This is what was stated uh, by Andrew Young at the uh, opening of this this entity that's a part of the District Attorney's Office um, in Fulton County. Um, It's it's supposed to be something that that represents progress in this uh, injustice system, so it should be used definitely to free Imam Jamil. So uh, a way to write him is uh, to write... Two, um, 
uh, number nine 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 seven four dash five five five. Again, that's number nine 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 seven four dash five five five. United States USP United States Penitentiary Tucson. You can just put USP Tucson T U C S O N U S Penitentiary P E N I T E N T I A R Y P O Box two four five five zero Tucson, Arizona, eight five seven three four, and I can repeat that. That's nine 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 seven four dash five five five. USP Tucson, US Penitentiary, PO Box two four five five zero. Tucson, Arizona, eight five seven three four. That's the contact uh as to write a letter to him. And he's able to communicate with others, um, but he's not able to com he's 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 uh banned from communicating with media. Um, you know, we have a brother that, that speaks to him uh in Atlanta, a few a couple of, of people in Atlanta to him regularly and In the, in the conditions that he's in, um, he's always in positive spirits, um, you know, joking and things of that nature. Um, from his con, um, a couple other websites uh, in terms of contacting and getting involved. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how can so, people get involved? Uh, to put, and how can put, we support uh, his funds, Send money to his commissary. You can send a money order to Federal Bureau of Prisons, J-A-M-I-L, capital A-L dash A-M-I-N, number 99555, P.O. Box 474701. Des Moines, Iowa, 509-47-0001. Again, to put money on his books, put money in his commissary, Federal Bureau of Prisons, Jamil, J-M-I-L, capital A-L dash, capital A-M-I-N, number 999 P.O. Box 474701, Des Moines, Iowa, 509-470001. And, brother, in terms of supporting his legal team, is a just a something where people want to support his legal team as well? If you would like to support the legal team, uh, my my strongest suggestion is to go to um, there's two websites, um, and one of them is uh, the one that I mentioned previously, www. 
www.whathappened2rap.com. That's the number two, rap.com, W-H-A-T-H-A-P-P-E-N-E-D, the number two, rap.com. At that site, Okay. Be able to, now, to contribute directly to the legal team. And, okay, uh, and we also have, we uh, have uh, – go ahead. No, go ahead, brother. Finish your point. Oh, you say the other website is um, www.imamjamilactionnetwork. Uh, um, that's www.imamjam. I L A C T I O N N E T W O R K dot O R G Imam Jamil Action Network dot org. Um both of those have uh that second site has a lot of information on his case um and uh and is is the is the Imam Jamil Action Network's uh which is a, a network of organizations that support the campaign to free Imam Jamil and that participate uh, actively in his uh, in the campaign to free him. On now, brother, we sort of break it up a little bit, but if you can hear me, I uh, have some political yes, panelists. Analysts may have a comment or question for you, so we'll take our first one, brother Haki. Any comment or question you have for our brother as it relates to Imam Jamil Alamine, formerly known as H. R. Brown? Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Uh, with respect to his eyesight, what is the circumstances around him losing his vision? Because um, last, last I heard, his eyesight wasn't an issue. So, what precisely precipitated this, uh, this eye problem? Um, and I, I don't want to misspeak, but if I'm not mistaken, um, it's a glaucoma. Um. But uh, basically, there's a surgery, and, and, and what I'll say is, uh, to be clear and speak on what I do know, is that uh, there's a surgery that was supposed that was that he was supposed to have gotten uh, years ago um, that kept being pushed back. Um, again, that got pushed to to the time when COVID, where they were, you know, preventing all kinds of that. Denied and postponed. Um, to, to present where uh, he's presently scheduled to be moved to another facility to complete this surgery, um, which uh, based on the diagnosis is to be restorative um, to his sight. So he will be able to regain some level of vision um, that, you know, it will be improved uh, as opposed to, you know, surgery for nothing. Um, right. Yeah. So that's okay. what I can give you on that. And let me, second question. Um, I'm not having all of the details on that. Oh, okay. Well, we respect. respect, I'm sorry. You're breaking up, brother. Can you hear me now? I can. I can hear you now. I can hear you clearly. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, you're breaking up on this end. Uh, Anyway, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, With respect to um, you know um, the the very. the very fictitious nature of this this this, this alleged crime that uh, Brother Jamil Alamin uh, participated in. One of the things is that uh, supposedly, you know, during this during this this, this so-called event, 
uh, the brother was nowhere in nowhere even close uh, to to this kind of event. Is there, is there any kind of follow up in terms of uh, that particular information as pertains to uh, Brother Jamil Amin's case? Yes. So, uh, you know, there's a there. So, you know, he has. So right now, again, with this push to to get the conviction integrity unit to uh, to really our aim is for them to exonerate him. You know, we don't need you to reopen the case and retry it and nothing like that. Just you, you know, this is a miscarriage of justice. Let him out. That's what we're pushing for. Um, but at any level, there's different points of entry. And so the legal team now, um, which has uh, kind of been revamped, um, it's got, you know, still guidance from some of those who were a part of his, his uh, case before, um, you know, new members. His his son um, is very pivotal. Um, Kyrie Alamine is very pivotal um, in in driving uh, what's going on with his case presently. And so, part of what's going on is 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 uh, you know evidence that wasn't shown in the in the in the first trial and in the appeal um, to be shown now. Um, evidence that that wasn't allowed before to be allowed now. He was in Whitehall, Alabama, um, and which is another part of this. You know, he was in Whitehall, Alabama, building a community. Um, Building a, uh, uh, an uh, uh, an Islamic-led but secular um, community, um, uh, progressive community um, in Alabama, and he was in Alabama when the when the shooting, um, you know, that he alleged to have done uh, took place, um, and it, you know, and the, and the state tried to say that that he fled to Alabama um, after the fact, but no, he actually um, he was already there and. Um, you know they were they were coming to kill him, um, and 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 he was uh, kind of um, protected in that process by some officers in that area um, uh, as they came to get him. Um, but yeah, he he was not even in the state of Georgia uh, when this took place. Yeah, that, um, I, I recall uh, the the same thing to Geronimo Gigi Pratt. Uh, so clearly, exactly. you know, um, you know uh, their intent. Is to uh, to the extent possible to disempower the aspirations and the uh, desires of the African community in this country. So clearly, when you, so when you talk about um, you know uh, political prisons in this country, uh, you know um, what they've done to our political prisons is, is is atrocious. But more importantly, what is the organizing efforts in terms of what is the response among the people in terms of just um, uh, just the latest news pertaining to uh, Jamil Alamine? Um, you know, in terms of the response of the people, uh, you know, people respond very positively. A lot of like there's you've got the the the, the range of of people in this situation. You've got you know people who um, who have been and who have been involved throughout for the past 21 years um, that he's been in, in, incarcerated. Um, you know that have been engaged in his in his campaign. You've got people who were involved and are not involved and are kind of coming back around a little bit, you know. Um, you've got people who um, who never heard of Imam Jamil or H. Rap Brown. You know, they don't know either name, um, but they hear about this miscarriage of justice and they want to get involved. They want to sign a petition. They want to know what they can do to help. Um, you know, and so we're, we're, we're also working on, um, you know, uh, you know pushing, pushing our campaign to state legislatures and, and, and you know, and on up, um, you know, to, to – to you know, to the federal level, because um, that's something that that hasn't uh, been been pushed as of late. Um, but you know, the response is very positive for the com- in the community. Uh, people want to uh, 
get involved. People want to see him free, but uh, and people don't know. You know, a lot of people don't know. That's what's been a part of this is that uh, in the media, you know, he he can't speak on his own behalf. Uh, in the media, they've kept his name out of the media. You know, they've kept his name um, for for the better part of 21 years. You know, uh, suppressed so that you know we don't know what's going on. We you know we 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 don't get updates on his case or campaign or we you know we don't we don't you know many of us don't even know that he exists and that he's there, you know. Um, but when anyone hears about who he is, what he's done, and, and how he wound up where he is, um, you know, they're, they're, they're willing to stand in some way, form, or fashion, whether that's a, signing a petition, giving a donation, or, uh, or getting involved and so forth. And so, you know, and that's a big part of what's going on right now is, you know, we need more people to be involved. We need more people to be engaged and on the ground, active uh in, in, in building awareness and putting pressure on the state uh, and, and county and so forth to, to free him. Um, you know, we've submitted 70, over 70,000, close to 80,000 uh, signatures uh, to this petition to the Conviction Integrity Unit already, um, and we've got a lot more. I mean, I've got a lot more paper petitions uh, to turn in myself, um, and most of those uh, of the, of the uh, almost 80,000 that we've submitted are, uh, were done online. And so, um, you know, the response is, 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 is noticeable. You know, the response is, is very clear. And, um, you know, we want to build on that. You know, we want 100,000. You know, we want a million signatures uh, for, for, for his campaign. You know, we want it to be no question that everybody agrees that, that he should be free. You know, it's a miscarriage of justice. You know, someone who, who gave his life for us to be free, you know, committed his life to us being free. And, and and now their their goal is to have him rot in jail. Their goal is to have him die um, behind bars, away from everyone um, that loves him and that that wants to see him, and all the people that that he would be able to help and 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 build with. You know that's that's why he's there. So you know that's why we're here. You know to 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 combat that, to overturn that, to change that, and um, you know that that's the that's the relentless work that we're engaged in. Okay. Okay. We're going to the next panel. Reverend Moses, any question, comment, please. Reverend Moses. Well, what's the call? Free them all. So I, I Free them all. Stand in solidarity with the Black Liberation Movement. Uh, um, we've been in a struggle for survival, and uh, and some have given more than others, and we recognize the contributions that the brother has made to the struggle and, and, uh, and, and, and like I said, what's the call? Free them all. Uh, we need to set the captives free. We've got not just political prisoners, but, but the prisoners, the black community in general has been, uh, ostracized and, 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 uh, uh, degraded and, and you know we got people in in jail for marijuana. It's loaded with people for marijuana. It's a, a cultural attack on black culture itself. And um, so you know we got a lot of work to do. Uh, uh, that's why a revolution is necessary to set the captives free. Thank you. Okay, Sister Eleanor, your question. your question, comment, Sister. Uh, I have a question. How old is the brother? Is the brother at this time? And how old is he? He means Jamil Alamine is. How old? 
Hello? Okay, yes. My pardon me, I hear something in the background. He's seventy six years old. He's seventy six. Seventy six. Seventy eight. Excuse me. Seventy eight. I'm sorry, seventy eight. I agree with Brother Robert. Um, you know, the brothers contributed so much to to uh, the liberation and the civil rights movement, and he needs to be set free as do so many political prisoners as well as the uh, social prisoners, those there for marijuana, drug use, and those things that we need to... Uh, completely obliterate the uh, prison industrial uh, complex in its entirety and restructure prisons. And uh, uh, I just uh, thank you all for doing this work and bringing it to our attention. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, brother, you can sum up, sum everything up again in terms of why the people should support our brother and how can they support your work. Okay, and, and uh, you know, and give thanks to you all for your comments. And, and indeed, you know, uh, all, you know, there's a special category for people like Imam Jamil and Mumia Abu-Jamal and Dr. Matula Shakur and on and on, Sundiata Koli, all these people who are in prison because of the political work they did, but everybody incarcerated is a political prisoner. All people, especially people of African descent, people of color, like, you know, we're all there uh, as a part of an injustice system. And we're all there as a part of a system that's designed uh, to to boost and build and contribute to an economy that we don't benefit from. Um, and, and it's a system that is debunked. It's a system that uh, is not, has any, doesn't have anything to do with justice. Um, it has to do with, with building an economy that, uh, you know, you know, it, it is and should be bankrupt and shouldn't should not exist. And so we continue to, to fight and stand. Um, uh, and and I appreciate all the comments. Um, you know, uh, the campaign of free Imam Jamil Alamin, um, formerly known as H. Rap Brown. Um, again, you can go to what happened to rap. dot com. W h a t h a p p e n e d. The number two. R a p. dot com. Um, sign a petition, make a donation uh, to the legal fund um, to to support the the on the ground organizing work, the community activists, the grassroots work. Go to www.imamjamilactionnetwork.org. That's www.imamjamilactionnetwork.org. N E T W O R K dot O R G um to support the campaign. Um uh you can find out information, you can contribute to to the uh the work that's happening. Um uh again to write email Jamil uh nine 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 seven four dash five 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 USP Tucson US Penitentiary P.O. Box 24550, Tucson, Arizona, 85734. And uh, to contribute to his fund, um, to his commissary, Federal Bureau of Prisons, Jamil Alamin, 99974-555, P.O. Box 
347-471-4701, Des Moines, Iowa, 509-74-0001. And please pardon the background noise. Um, uh, if you want to call in, you can call one 833 ijan one eight three three nine 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 I J A N to uh contact us via telephone. And um, you know, this is our freedom fighter, someone who fought for us since his teenage years. Um he's seventy eight years old now. Um, you know, he continues to be a stand for us, uh, even in a space where they don't want him to be in communication and stand and connect with us. Um, but he's still leading uh, the Ummah from, from there, he's still giving guidance on how, how to work on his campaign and just how to be great people. Um, and so, uh, you know, we want to we wanna free this, this, this someone who's been in prison for 21 years for a crime that someone else confessed to doing at the time, uh, sworn, written sworn affidavits, uh, videotaped af- uh, confession, televised on court TV and, and on, around the world right now, fit the description of the shooter, which Imam Jamil totally did not, um, you know, we're calling on that, that to be brought forth and, and, uh, and for the Imam to be free. So uh, as we say, what's the call? Free them all. Free Imam Jamil Alameen now. My brother, I know we got to let you go, but real quickly, can you give us a sense of uh, what has been the response of the African press? How are they dealing with this, um, this particular phenomenon? as relates to our brother Jamil Alameen. And when you say the African press, you mean African-American press in the States or just uh, or abroad on the on the continent? I'm, I'm talking about African both. press, those, those, both, those institutions here in the United States and throughout. And so we're, we're presently um, uh, in, in, we have a, the IJAN has a, a media arm and um, we're presently, working on uh, boosting um, the, the notoriety and the media coverage in uh, the African press. Um, we, you know, we're connected with the um, national um, organization that deals with uh, black newspapers and black media. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, 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 we have been and are looking to be more in communication with um, the brother, uh, Dr. Ben Chavis um, and others um, that, that kind of guide that process. And so we're, 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 you know, as we speak, we just came out of a meeting um, talking about uh, contacting uh, more media, not only in Tucson, but across the country um, about what's going to be happening in Tucson and just about his campaign in general. And so there's been coverage. Um, the, the coverage is sporadic. You know, we, we find uh, articles and different information uh, popping up here and there. Um, but our push is to, to have, you know, all of these media outlets, uh, you know, putting out uh, information about his case constantly constantly and continually um you know there's that hasn't been the case um you know there's definitely been a positive response to his campaign but it's kind of you know if we don't keep a fire under under uh certain outlets you know it's just out of sight out of mind and um you know so we're we're even though they're the ones that are supposed to keep them in sight you know (laughs) so you know we're working on that as well well my brother uh give the brother i love we want to let you know we're here. If you anything that comes up, feel free to cuss, and you always have a place on this platform as relates to the well-being Amen. of our brother, Iman Jamil Alameen, formerly known as H. Rap Brown. We thank you for this update. 
Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, we, you know, much love and respect to you all for providing the platform for us. Give thanks. All right. Stay out of listening audience. You have been given an update on our brother, Iman Jamil Alameen, formerly known as H.Y. Brown. Please take heed. Go to the website. Join in this fight. Join in this struggle. It's not a struggle about Jamil. It's a struggle about the survival of our people, all of us. We well, have an obligation to do that. And right now, as we sit in the seat and take the heat, we're going to bring on the sister who has been sitting in the seat and taking the heat for a very long time. And she did something very special 20-some years or so ago where she made a call for a million women march. And she called for a million, and she got two and a half. And she can give us an update on this update work and status of the million woman movement. So we bring in our sister, Ember Chi. We welcome her to Africa on the move. My sister, welcome. Greetings, Brother Africa and Africa on the move family. How are you this evening? Oh, we're doing great, and you're doing greater now since we got you on the line. <laughs> All right, we yes, We want yes. you to give us an update on the work that is, that is going on in your movement and how people can participate and support it. So talk to the people. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, my brother, for inviting me and allowing me to share this information. Of course, as has been mentioned, uh, this is the first day for Black August, and so, of course, a lot of information and activity is going to be happening in regards to freeing our political prisoners. So what has happened with the Million Woman March? Well, we said in 2017, and Brother Africa, you were there when we did our 20-year anniversary commemoration. We said then that we would be launching or administering the first global movement for women and girls of African descent worldwide. Well, most did not really know what that meant, those that thought they would uh, at least attempt to embrace it. But, but now we are ready to not only bring it forward, but to really activate some of what we've been working on really for more than 24 years, but certainly during that time period when we first launched the 1997 largest gathering in the world of any women. Um, so with that said, this is the 70th year uh, anniversary that the great Paul Robeson took what we know as We Charge Genocide. A petition was taken uh, that he took and, and others here in the U.S., and we and Patterson took it to Paris, France. And this happened 70 years ago. Now, of course, the We Charge Genocide 1951 petition primarily focused on uh, the governmental terrorism, the murders, the lynching, the mob lynchings, the things relevant to that. And, and they really did something that was so incredible. They, gave, they compiled so much data, the names, the dates, the locations of the murders, uh, the other kinds of lynchings, uh, the beatings of our people. 1951, hundreds of names, dates, so forth, that they submitted to the United Nations. Well, needless to say, both Paul Robeson and William Patterson got whiteballed, which means uh, they were targeted by the government. Of course, Paul Robeson couldn't no longer get work. He was a well-known uh, artist, and, and all of a sudden he couldn't get work. Of course, their passports at some point were seized. So we, we know that police and governmental terrorism definitely exists then as it does now. But this year, we're going to commemorate them. 
again, I'm in Philadelphia, so I have a special kind of love for Paul Robeson because he lived and died in the city. But the thing is, look at what is happening with our people throughout the country. What has really changed? Well, Brother Malcolm told us in 1964 when he went to Africa to meet with heads of state, but also to speak, to address the organization of Afro-American unity, to bring our plight to the world arena in such a way that it would give us the capability to move, as he would say, from civil rights to human rights. And so here we are today in 2021, still going through what our people have gone through for 70 years, certainly uh, with the We Charge Genocide, but we know for 400-plus years. So what the Million Women March, its allies, its brotherhood, uh, and other components, we are commemorating some of our sheroes and heroes and pioneers. One, the 70th year anniversary of the We Charge Genocide, 1951. So we will assemble in New York on September the 4th as one of our first major steps. This will be our first assembly. We are going to the United Nations not to take the petition yet, but to begin a process that we call boots on the ground because we're getting ready to to help educate, edify, uh, enable people, the masses, This is not uh, what we would call about the intellectualizing at this point. This is about getting one-on-one with the masses of our people so that our people know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and also what, what is human rights? What is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? What are these things? We, We talk to each other about a lot of these things. But who's getting in these neighborhoods, in these communities, in the barbershop, at the, at the uh, shopping market? Who's doing that? We are. And so starting on September the 4th, boots on the ground, we're asking people nationwide to start, help us take information, pamphlets, flyers about black human rights and the violations. And with that genocide, we're launching a campaign for a million signatures that we will take to the United Nations in December, commemorating Paul Robeson and also Queen Mother Moore, who also compiled, as we just recently learned, a million signatures in 1964 and submitted it to J.F. Kennedy. Now, we're still trying to track that information down. It's hard to find, but from what we've been told by several sources, she did, in fact, do that. So, So we're compiling and really connecting these dots in that certainly with Facebook and all this other stuff, getting a million signatures as a start should, should be no problem at all. So we're asking people to please support. Pledge to get nine signatures plus one yourself. Get these signatures, and this is for what we call the letter of intent that we will take to the United Nations that begin to notify them officially that we are planning to file charges against humanity, i.e. genocide. How is this called genocide or we charge genocide 21? Why? Because we're fighting 21 points, 21 areas, horrendous crimes against our people. So it's not just 
the cop killings, the murders of our people by law enforcement people. It's also gentrification, environmental racism, mass incarceration, political prisoners, a medical apartheid, and so forth. These are all crimes against humanity because it's a specific group of people that have been targeted. We're looking at genocide in the 21st century, not like it was in 1948 or wherever. It wasn't, it, we're not talking about the put you up to the, uh, for the, for be shot by the uh, squad or through the gas chamber. No, we're talking about the water you drink will kill you, as in Flint, Michigan, when they knew that that water was poisoned and contaminated. The fact that our political prisoners, many of them now are very elderly, we have proof that they were set up. And so we now are making this statement and saying there are short-term goals and there are long-term goals. And one of the short-term goals is the release of our political prisoners in terms of the remedy of what we're saying, the crimes against humanity, this must be rectified. And so the release of our political prisoners is, is doable like right now and, and should be. So again, we're asking our people to please support this Recharge Genocide 21 project. We also call it the Black Human Rights Movement. This is a three to five year project. This is not gonna happen overnight. We're coming to cities as soon as the, the COVID thing will allow us to do so, to hear testimonies in your city about the various types of atrocities that have happened in your community in the past year so that we can document these things and have it submitted. So, Brother Africa, I thank you again for inviting me. Remember, this is the 24-year anniversary of the historic Million Woman March. And with that said, lastly, we're putting a call out to black women. Again, 70 years ago, great black women came together and made what they said the call to Negro women, started a group called the Sojourners for Truth and Justice. And their demand was to meet with the President of the United States to address some of the issues of our people that included the violence and abuse of our women, which no one was really talking about. But they came together, and the, and the first ones that started it was the great Bea Richards. You might remember her as the mother of Sidney Poitier and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Well, she was also a well-known actress but a writer, and she wrote a poem called A Black Woman Speaks, and she talked about the issues of white supremacy and white women, and she did it so eloquently and so profoundly. And from that poem, other women really got motivated. Some of those women included the great Shirley Du Bois, Shirley Graham Du Bois, also, would you believe Paul Robeson's wife, Eslander Robeson, and also William Patterson's wife, but also a woman named Audley Moore, who just so happened to be Queen Mother Moore. So these women came together in 1951, put a call out to the Negro women to meet, and the men are meeting with the President of the United States, and they did. And so they met in Washington with different women of different organizations, and they didn't meet with the president, but the president did send a representative. But 
how many knew this, that this actually happened? So we're going to reenact that, salute our sheroes, and demand a meeting with President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. We want to meet with them because we want to ask them reparations. You said that black women help you all to get in office. This is what Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, and President Vice President Kamala Harris said, that it was black women that helped them to get in office. Well, fine. So now what are you going to do for us, and not just lately but right now? So we want to know their positions clearly on the issue of reparations. We want to know, will you release our political prisoners now? This is remedies that can be enacted now. We also want to know with gentrification all over the country, particularly in black communities, there are buildings owned by the state, owned by the federal government. Well, we want some of them buildings, y'all. This is now reparatory justice. Since an apology was given by the Congress and by the United States, well, that's fine. But now we're at the 21st century, and we want to know what's next, and what next has to be reparatory justice. 21 points have to be now examined. So lastly, students and parents of students, particularly those who are dealing with their student loan debt, one of our immediate demands, again, is the rescinding, not forgiving, the rescinding, the elimination, the abolishment of student loan debt right now. And for the future, tuition-free education for our people. These are some of the immediate demands. These are some of the things that is not rocket science, along with the reparations for the Tulsa survivors and their families and the rebuilding of Tulsa slash Black Wall Street. So, Brother Africa, I thank you again. We, again, we ask folks that can go to the website. It's WCG21.com. That's where we charge genocide21.com. Again, WCG21.com. We definitely need your support in any kind of way, in-con services, certainly donations. We do not get grants and all of that like many do. So our people supporting in whatever way is extremely important. We can be reached by email at nationalmwm at aol.com. Again, nationalmwm at aol.com. Or you can text us at area code 267-636-3802. Again, 267-636-3802. Let us do what Queen Mother, who just we just commemorated her Earth Day, but also what Baba Kwame Ture said very clearly, we must not fail our ancestors. And as Queen Mother would say, children, go get your reparations. Brother Africa, thank you so much for allowing me to share this information. And family, listen, if we don't do this, who do you think going to do it? And do it in a way that represents integrity. We want our own schools. We want our own institutions. There are thousands of vacant properties out here. They need to be, some of them need to be ours. Thank you again. My sister, we thank you for giving us the update on the Million Woman March and Movement. And let's stay in touch and continue to communicate. We thank you. 
Absolutely. One thing I need to also share, I did get a brief report on Mumia Abu-Jamal, um, and, and uh, certainly next week we'll have more to share with your audience, but uh, Mumia is, again, uh, ill, and, uh, you know, there is some concern about his health at this time. So, so again, you know, for those who meditate prayer, please, you know, keep, keep cognizant of that reality. Oh, one last thing, August 17th, National RBG Day. National Red, Black, and Green Flag Day. Put your flag out. Uh, if you have some other Red, Black, and Green paraphernalia or other things, please show it. This is one of our Recharge Genocide 21 mobilization uh, programs. August 17th, RBG Flag Day, RBG Day, tribute, salute to the Honorable Marcus Garvey. A real quick and last time, since the number would in contact you for more information. Mm-hmm. Every code 267-636-3802. Email nationalmwm at aol.com. And all, by all means, cash at us at dollar sign H-O-T-1-1. HRproject at gmail.com. Again, NBHRproject at gmail.com. All right, Sister African, we thank you. That's the introduction to our listening audience. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. We're going to take a rubbish and culture break. And when we come back, we're going to take a discussion of what's going on in your world and the community with Brother Moses. So, We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere. This is Africa on the Move. So vast, so great, the African embrace. The color of life. Universal harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human being. Human love. On a spiritual tip. So vast. So great. The African Embrace. Live beyond. Love beyond. Your skin. To where you belong. Mama see, mama saw, mama 
Yet there is a body of works that proved to be correct, and correct verdicts should not be reversed. And hence, there is an ideology called Marxism-Leninism. It is a body of works created in the struggle to get the international proletariat in control of a state, this will in its own interest. And this, and this, we inherited, and we will defend and develop Marxism-Leninism. Um, it is um, there's a Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao Zedong concretely analyze the situation they were faced with during their era of life, and this this is immeasurable experience, yeah, um, and um, rich rich theory that that is available to us if we just apply ourselves to the situation and 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 learn. And Lenin said the advanced workers would study, 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 and turn themselves into communists. And so, truth is the basis of of, of Marxism and just truth itself. And so. It's not just any truth, though. It's true. It's mainly truth about the government, about politics, about the state, and about what needs to be done. And this, this is, uh, this is what, what I am uh, guided by. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to say that. Thank you. Give Brother Moses from Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in the community? Talk to us. Oh, Jeff, good evening. I tell you, the biggest thing going on right now is, uh, of course, the pandemic and the impact it's having on uh, the people of the South. Uh, Haiti this week got their first dose of Corona, uh, the uh, Corona-19 vaccine. And that's a blessing. And in the last two weeks, um, the uh, uh, infection rate in Africa has gone up some 80%. So the issue right now is whether or not uh, Moderna and Pfizer will allow pharmaceutical producers globally to produce the vaccine. Now, we saw a reactionary demonstration this week here on 16th Street at the uh, Cuban embassy where people were alleging that uh, they were folks being kidnapped, and they failed to tell the truth about the conditions in Cuba right now and the fact that people are concerned about a lack of medication, a lack of access to the Cuban vaccine, because of the impact the pandemic is having on Cuba. This is a pandemic. There's no one that has escaped. So we have to think about uh, addressing this pandemic. Uh, We can't leave anyone behind. We must treat each and everyone everywhere. We don't save everyone. We can't save anyone. And uh, with the activities of the billionaires in the last couple of weeks like uh, Branson and Bezos going into space, it lets us know how important it is that we have a uh, space tax. Uh, You can't go into the space and not pay the people.
people of the world huge taxes. Please, you cannot affect our ozone and reduce uh, and add to global warming and 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 the destruction of the ozone and not pay for it. So uh, also, as we were discussing last week, biotechnology. There needs to be a moratorium on biotechnology. The reality is the people that will need this biotechnology, uh, such as uh, people with lupus and autoimmune diseases, depending on their income status, they won't be able to afford these wonderful uh, this biotech medicine. So if it's not for everyone, it should not be for anyone. And we don't have the judgment to determine what type of DNA manipulation should go on with anyone because genius comes from everywhere. And, of course, Mother Earth. Mother Earth is really reacting. Across this world, there are floods, rain, droughts. You see in the western United States, <clears throat> the droughts, the unspoken droughts are so bad right now that uh, they've expanded grazing uh, on public land. And as a consequence, uh, many states are passing legislation allowing for the hunting of the gray wolf, which has been on the endangered species list uh, some years ago. And I would like to see a moratorium on the hunting of the gray wolf. I would also, to come back to Cuba, like for people to understand the problems in Cuba right now are uh, medicine, uh, access to electricity, and uh, very, very basic things. And that it's the embargo that impact Cuban people the most. So that, uh, as I read in one of the articles that we uh, had for review, that the Cuban people themselves have said, anyone bringing medicine, there are no tariffs, there's no nothing, just please bring it to Cuba. So I would urge anyone that is a tourist or visiting Cuba to please take basic things such as um, diabetic meters, blood pressure cups, syringes. Take these things to Cuba when you're traveling there. And to remember Mother Earth, if we don't take care of us, her, she can't take care of us. And uh, as Brother Hakeem had said earlier, um, there is a concern with global warming, and some people uh, think, and they do know, that if there were less of us, that would immediately, in some ways, abate global warming. But we can't allow population control. We can't allow for the black and brown people, elderly people, anyone to die from this corona vaccine because of a lack of treatment and a lack of access to um, medicine. So um, thank you for your time. I know I can be a bit wordy, so thank you so much. And uh, just remember, Mother Earth is, you know, if we don't take care of our mother, she can't take care of us. And that education, housing, health care, food are basic human rights. 
There's something every human being deserves. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Now make a transition to Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome Brother Anthony and Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world in the community? A couple of things of concern, um, at home especially. Uh, I don't know whether whether this was raised already or not, but uh, Israel is uh, to join, uh, is given observer status in the African Union. With, after having been kept out uh, for 20 years, uh, according to, uh, uh, to, uh, to 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 uh, to the article, uh, Israel did have a, a observer status in the OAU, and uh, I think it's a uh, you know an example of how entrenched neocolonialism is in uh in africa and how dangerous it is the fact that it uh that it is uh cutting deals with uh zionism uh you know uh you know uh doesn't bode well for africa and also uh unrelate uh and an unrelated uh you know item uh the NBA Africa uh league started uh uh from uh you know from what uh from what I uh from what I uh hear and uh that is a tool uh in my in my opinion for further US intervention into uh the affairs of Africa under the guise of uh, entertainment, and uh, so uh, so uh, so so people should keep an eye on these uh, you know recent developments at home. Thank you, Brother Afton, to our listening audience. As we stated earlier at the beginning of the program, we were scheduled to give the theme part two, affecting human development and our bodies, but due to some communication issues and logistical issues, we have decided to postpone that thing until a further date. But tonight, we're just going to have an open topic. You can call in at 323-679-0841. Hit one. We will not the last number. And speak on anything and everything that you want to speak on. This is what we're going to do. But right now, we'll take a quick uh, culture break. And when we come back, we can go back to Brother Hakeem. And we're going to ask him what's on his mind. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Water and chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. News, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong. 
and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. That was a song titled Palerino, written by Brother Abio Doom, a member of Last Port. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. Now, we're going to have some open topic discussion. We'd like to know what's on your mind. We start off right now with Brother Haki. The line is open at 323-679-0841. Brother Haki, open topic tonight. What's on your mind? What have you not said you'd like to share with our listening audience tonight? Well, well, Brother Africa, you know, the, uh, the becouraged nature of the situation we find ourselves confronted is, 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 is very, very real. Uh, the inequality of society is, is, is going leaps and bounds, and the repercussions for for people, particularly working people, I mean, it's enormous. And uh, the question is, will we be in a position to actually defend ourselves in the advent of some say, major onslaught, you know, by right-wing forces that are that are, uh, are dying uh, to uh, exact some type of uh, retribution on? People they perceive as part of being part and parcel of the problem in society. You know, you know, one of the things for Africa, uh, you know, um, specifically when we talk about um, the moratorium as it impacts, you know, you know, people being evicted. Uh, something happened here last week, which I think was 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 extraordinary. Namely, is that um, the uh, the politicians left Washington D.C. on to take a, a recess. Now, prior to taking that recess, the question in terms of the, the seriousness of uh, people being evicted because they don't have the money to pay their rents or their mortgages is very, very real. So the mere fact that the politicians decided they're not going to address that uh, left a lot of people seriously exposed. Uh, one of the things is that when, when we talk about in terms of just the kind of machinations, the kind of uh, uh, games that are perpetuated by people in the of power, uh, you know, for the last couple of months, the real estate interest has been, um, they were fortunate enough to get before the Supreme Court to, discuss, to have the case heard around the question in terms of the legitimacy of moratoriums. Their position was that moratoriums are simply, uh, you know, uh, not justifiable. And that in fact, it uh, restricts, uh, restricts business in that context is unconstitutional. Well, the Supreme Court somewhat agreed with that assessment. Um, they, they sort of, you know, split it halfway. But what they did was they said that they ruled that um, in order for the moratorium to be continued, um, in order for Biden to continue the moratorium to keep people from being evicted from their homes, uh, it has to be a congressional authorization in order to achieve that. So this notion that presidential directives could be used to, to, to bring about this order uh, was knocked down. So what happened was, so by the people in the Congress leaving for recess, they not only left people exposed, but they're going to contribute to the mass homelessness that's, that's already pretty bad in society. Uh, one of the things, so when we talk about this, 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 the question around moratoriums, is that, you know, oddly enough, the Democrats had their votes to actually, to actually pass a moratorium to extend the time of that moratorium so people don't get thrown out of their homes. Uh, they didn't do that, uh, even though they had the votes. 
Now, Nancy Pelosi said something in quotes. She said, not having enough time to socialize within our caucus and build a consensus, especially in the time of COVID. I'm not understanding what she's talking about. Consensus, she already had enough people uh, to, in fact, to pass, uh, to pass a bill extending the moratorium. So when she talk about consensus, it's more it's, it's, it's more of a uh, it's more of a, a subterfuge. It's more of a attempt in terms of you know disguising the fact the Democrats really didn't give a damn about the people who potentially going to be thrown out their house. Now to give you some some sense in terms of how bad the situation is uh, in terms of homelessness, or one of the things is that according to the Moody's Credit Agency, six million renters are in array in arrears, which means they, you know they're behind on their rents because of the lockdown of COVID-19. Now, now 3.5 million people, according to the census, and they interviewed them about last July, early, I mean, uh, I mean, early July, they interviewed these people, and they say in, in two months they're certain they're going to be homeless. In just two months they're certain they're going to be homeless. Now, in terms of just homeowners, and this is according to Harvard, Harvard Research, Harvard University Research, they're talking about 2 million homeowners uh, behind on the mortgage, meaning the likelihood of them being evicted is very, very strong. So we're talking about uh, close to we're talking close to twelve. So we're talking about close to twelve million people potentially could be out on out on the streets. Now, what is probably most pro- problematic of all of this, brother Africa, is the fact that of homelessness. Well, you know, in in the context of capitalist society, which has no responsibility to to the citizenry. Uh, what is interesting is that when you talk about, you know, investment firms and ec- private equity firms, uh, they play a big part in terms of facilitating homelessness. Not only that, they play a big part in terms of facilitating the rise in terms of the prices of home, making homes un- un- unavailable for most people. So it's interesting that, when we, t- for instance, if we talk about BlackRock, right, the investment firm, right? And by the way, for people who don't know BlackRock, uh, they're the same people that the Wall, the Wall Street gave uh, um the 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 um, I'm sorry the Treasury Department gave the right uh, to actually uh, buy up all those houses that were abandoned back in 2008 when all the people lost their homes because of the subprime debacle you know when people were tricked and uh, they didn't realize that uh, their their payments would balloon every month so subsequently people weren't able to keep their homes so they lost their homes well um, the Treasury allowed Wall Street I'm sorry allowed BlackRock to actually purchase all of those homes and so essentially what they did. Uh, Treasury, in, the condition, in conjunction with Wall Street, made it possible for it to create billionaires. You know, billionaires they didn't have to do anything, and so now they use the wealth by virtue of tax breaks and uh, all kind of um, accounting accounting fraud. They're using that money in terms of buying up all these homes to ensure that the the value of these homes continue to go up, which means they're wealthier and wealthier, which means increasingly the level of homelessness is going to rise exponentially. And you also have Blackstone, which is a private equity. And they have, since 2008, they've been buying up homes. Uh, you know, as I alluded to some time back, uh, between, between these organizations and, 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 other, and other private organizations, they own 17 million properties in the United States. So when people talk about homelessness in the United States, they feel to understand that this is part and parcel of how the capitalism works. The focus is never on what is the best interest of the citizens and the best interest of capital. So people with wealth, those people with assets, they continue to benefit wholesale at the expense of the masses of people. So I say all that to say, Brother Africa, when we talk about the precariousness that exists in the society, the question is, 
what are what are working people going to do? Uh, what are African people going to do in 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 in, in, in context of you know, all this uncertainty? Uh, it seems to me that you know if we don't have a serious plan in terms of trying to foment some of this, or at least at the very minimum, uh, uh, stand against a lot of this insanity, and it'd be very difficult for us to prevail in terms of um, you know. Uh, you know, some type of longevity when it comes to uh, the kind of obstacles we're up against if we don't do something in terms of, in, you know, increasing our consciousness, making sure that we understand exactly what it is we're up against and begin to formulate some strategies in terms of how to do that. I have no problem in terms of, you know, uh, the things that, um, you know, our previous guests alluded to and that's in terms of, you know, trying to bring about some resolve. I mean, that's, that's, that's all, in, all in fine. But the bottom line is that, you know, uh, we're a capitalist system which is vicious at its core, and it's not going to take a break. It doesn't have any respect for, for uh, it doesn't have any respect for, uh, for um, you know, interventions. You know, you can go to the U.N. and you can attempt to, to appease the U.N. body in terms of unfairness of it all, but, of course, the U.N. already knew it was unfair. They got investigators currently, you know, looking into, you know, investigating the U.S., you know, for his abuses of his African people and, you know, and poor people in the society. So there's an awareness that uh, there's a lot of systematic uh, uh, racism, systematic inequality that exists in the context of American society. So that's all a given. So we can, we can dispense with any kind of discussion around whether or not these things actually exist in American society. The inequality actually exists, and we know that. The problem is what is our response going to be in terms of the, the this, 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 this situation, a very desperate situation that's vastly approaching us at a very quick pace. Uh, Brother Africa, you know, the only thing I can say is that, you know, I just hope that people seriously take this, this stuff very, very seriously and, uh, you know, and, and begin to study and to understand and don't simply take this stuff lightly. Make an effort in terms of making sure you understand precisely what it is in terms of a lot of these policies that are being passed, a lot of these statements that these corporate types are making. And understand and it's important to understand the implications of what what's what's what is transpiring in society. Currently stuff is going on, none of it is manif- none of it is going to manifest itself in a way which is conducive or good for the masses of people in the society, particularly poor people and African people. So I encourage people to get about their business in terms of trying to understand as much as you can about, you know, the seriousness of the situation. Uh, we can no longer to delude ourselves to believe that everything is fine, that we just believe everything is okay, or we are patriotic enough, it's going to be all right. So clearly we got some issues, and I just thought I brought that out. So, uh, you know, I just hope people, you know, give this some real thought because the situation is going to be very, very critical at a very, very fast pace. Well, Brother Haki, the reality is this, and listen to your, um, your uh, presentation just now, is that we must do a critical assessment of where we are at this point in time of history and where we are objectively. Because I think I heard Bob Brown used to, used to say that we lack a, lack a fish in the fishbowl. I mean, you know, and when you think about that, that's an interesting analogy. Because not only are, they, are we in the position of um, being very, very polished, not because we are pilots by nature, but because we are so, we are disorganized, be like that. But I think that um, when we look at look at the conditions of of our people, um, they are talking about in the next ten, fifteen years. You know, even if you work, and we talk about this concept of the working poor, 
it won't make no difference because you're still not going to be able to afford an apartment. You're basically not going to be able to buy food to feed yourself. You basically will not have no money to have health care. So even if you work, what's the, what's the purpose of working if you can't meet those basic needs? In essence, what have they done to us? They have turned us into another aspect of being a slave or being a slave. They just call it a different name. Right now, we see that in the motion. We didn't clear a war on our people again by imposing these vaccination shots on you. You, didn't go, you are not even given the choice down. They're talking about making it mandated that you have to take it. Well, as human beings, the human beings have the right to dictate what should go into their bodies. And not only that, they're imposing shots on the people where the company's leadership refused to say they would not take the shots. The president of Pfizer said he would not take the shot. So that if he says that about a, a, a about this medicine or this vaccine that they're supposed to be creating, which, you know, listening brother, Dr. Uh, Lee Muhammad on WOL um, the other day, he said that uh, those two companies, Pfizer and Modemic, they have a history of not making vaccines. They know nothing about making vaccines. Why, if that's the case and that's true, why they give these two companies this large responsibility to make something which they really don't have no expertise in? What does that say? Um, you know, it's just, you know, the, the bottom line is not only are we at war, we are in war, and, you know, if we're going to survive, it's no other way around it. We're going to have to fight. The fight has been on, is definitely on now. Because, you know, we don't have no other choice. Like the brother stated in the choice. Easier you fight and try to survive, but you don't fight, you still get wiped out. So that's just my my take on just listen to some of the things you have just raised, Brother Haki. Now, to anyone else who would like to respond to this discussion, uh, we open. Call in 323-679-0841. And based on the discussion, I'll go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, I'd like to hear your response to some of the things we just articulated. Yeah, well, I think what 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 is happening is that uh, is that a war is being waged against us in, in in every conceivable way imaginable, and uh, when people think of warfare. They think of uh, uh, of uh, you know uh, arms, weapons of uh, you know uh, mass destruction, etc. But there, uh, but that that uh, that there are other ways of waging war, and our enemies have mastered those techniques, and those include uh, you know economic and cultural warfare. And I mean uh, depriving people of the ability to earn uh, 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 to earn enough to be able to, to provide for cl- food, clothing, and shelter for themselves is uh, you know it, 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 you know is a form of warfare. It's economic warfare, and uh, the old term for it was wage slavery. And, uh, you know, and uh, 
and uh, it's a situation in which uh, people are reduced to being dependent upon wages uh, in order to survive. And uh, when, when when it gets to a point where that's not sufficient enough, then uh, then the, the, then the only answer is political organization. And uh, we need to break our dependency upon uh, the Republican Democratic duopoly, and we have to form our own political organizations. That is why, uh, you know, uh, uh, Kwame Ture and other Pan-Africanists attached a great deal of of weight to being organized. Because uh, we're fighting against a well-organized enemy. So the only way we can defeat, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the enemies of human progress is through permanent mass organization. We're going to bring in Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your response to some of the things that has been mentioned. I'd like to continue on where everyone else left off. And it was about the economic and cultural warfare Right now, we have the prison industrial complex, but we now have industrialized housing, as Brother Anthony and Brother Akeem were talking about. Um, This evening, I saw people camping in Rock Creek Park because that's their residence. So we have working people that now cannot afford to purchase a home, own anything, to have any vestiture in the United States, but yet work the most demanding jobs in the nation. They, they man our grocery stores. They clean the streets. They move the trash. They're the people that kept us functioning during the pandemic. But what do they have? They have... Section 8 housing, which is a type of industrialized housing where uh, I talked to someone as a housing, a human rights advocate, and they were telling me they couldn't qualify for rental assistance because they were on Section 8, and Section 8 had determined what their rent should be. Well, Section 8 didn't include the pandemic, so you have people having to go through uh, industrialized housing. We have uh, people with medical care. If you're on Medicaid and you're a woman, you can't have an abortion. So their reproductive rights are usurped based on class and economic status. If you are a poor person and your child needs an individualized educational plan, and you are limited to the public schools, you are limited to what options and what opportunities your child has. So in every way, the working class are impacted with this new type of industrialization, this uh, new big brother oversight. So it is a new form of slavery, but it's much more intrusive 
Because as slaves, people felt that they had to keep you in good health uh, to keep you productive. But in this new wage slavery, there's no need because there's always another one to replace you in the surplus labor economy. So we see it in housing. We see it in the prison industrial complex where, where the workers in jail have no rights but yet they work for corporations who have contracts with these jails to produce um, various items, whether it's uh, Victoria's Secret products or other uh, big corporate companies who have contracts with jails. And what do these people get? A few cents an hour. So last week we saw San Francisco take a load off of the taxpayers' and the prisoners' backs by making telephones accessible to folks. And that's a great thing. So what what we have right now is this incredible, incredible class divide where you see people who work every day who cannot afford to purchase or own a home, who work every day, can't afford dentistry, because Medicaid doesn't pay for implants. We see people in prisons who cannot afford to have supplement their nutritional needs and their their hygiene because they can't afford these basic items, whether they're sardines or toilet paper. They just can't afford them. They have to make a decision. Do I speak to my family? Do I brush my teeth? Do I eat? And they're working in the jail. We have people who live in this housing where someone comes and inspects them annually or biannually, and their homes are the slums of the of the modern day society. They're inspected, but they're not inspected to make sure they're kept up to code, not these big large housing complexes. They're inspected just as a form of intimidation and control over the residents themselves. You see senior citizens living in senior housing, but when you live in senior housing, at 9 o'clock they knock on your door telling you everyone's got to be out by 11 o'clock. Well, your grandchildren can't live with you? No. Your children can't live with you? No. This is ridiculous. You can't have anyone visit with you longer than two weeks, this kind of thing, and you can only do it so many times a year. This is a form of industrialization that no one ever imagined. And it's not the state that's operating these these uh, uh, inspections, these rules. They may set them. The nation may set them. But it's the individual landlord that has control over the residents. Uh, here in the district in Columbia Heights, the, the Columbia Heights Village is a beautiful complex of uh, working class housing uh, projects or Section 8 housing, whatever you want to call it. And a few years ago, that complex was given to the alleged tenants and the developer. Well, the thing is, the tenants have no right to 
sell their interest to the next tenant. Moreover, if a tenant gets evicted, they lose their share, but more importantly, the tenants lose a portion of their shares. So what ends up happening to these, uh, quote, community corporate investment is that no one wins but the corporate investor, that is the developer, because they end up owning the property and the tenants end up being evicted. And the last place of community stability seems to be low-income housing because through gentrification, uh, communities have been dispersed all over this country. It's part of the cause of violence. When we see our youth committing these, this violence and this bad behavior, it's because they've become refugees in their hometown, in their own country. But no one has given us the refugee status. So I think we need to look at that, and maybe America needs to recognize that African Americans don't have any reservations, so we need to be considered refugees, because I certainly have seen the District of Columbia go from being a historically Afrocentric city to becoming Vanilla Villa, and no one mentioned a word about it, nor was there any information or records kept as to where the people were going. The evictions have occurred all of my life, dear audience. I have watched as many as 495 families a week in the District of Columbia be evicted for some 35 years. Something is wrong with this. And as all the speakers have said, this is a form of warfare against the working class. Brother Moses, you'd like to weigh in on this? Your thoughts? Well, that's very interesting. Um, certainly, Eleanor has a wealth of knowledge on it. comes from uh, being involved in the struggle. That's where correct ideas come from. And so, you know, I, I appreciate that, that knowledge. Um, we need to cherish, cherish the love. Um, we need it's just, the problem is trying to get into a situation where we are in power and and looking out for the interests of the working class, and that's the question is how do, how do you get people who are concerned about the working class who really diligently uh, look after the working class. How do you get those people in power as opposed to what we're faced with right now? And it takes an organization to do that, but it has to have a program and a clear vision, a, a clear vision and a, uh, practice and theory that, that supports that idea. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling, uh, uh, but I think I have a pretty good idea of what I need to do. Anyway. Thank you. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. You know, Pat, it looked like to me, uh, Haki, Anthony, and others, that we live in a time where it's clearly capitalism is not only in a crisis, but the shit has collapsed. And this is what it looked like. Y'all respond? You're right. Uh, I think it... Go ahead, Haki. Wait, wait, wait. 
No, I was going to say that uh, that capitalism is in, in crisis because the resources, the Earth's resources, contrary to capitalist capitalist myth, are finite. It, mm-hmm. uh, that the resources aren't infinite, and uh, you know, and the thing about it though, and. Um, you know, and the thing about it, though, and be- and as resources become more scarce, uh, capitalism becomes more desperate because there's no longer room for it to expand. So, so the only way the only way wealth can be re- be redistributed is through redivision of resources. That is why the the scramble for land, especially land to the south like uh, Central and South America and Africa, is intensifying. Yeah. Because uh, land, uh, the resources are becoming more scarce. And and, the... I think this pandemic has exposed uh, to those people who didn't see it before more clearly than ever the crisis that capitalism faces. And that is why they are going so hard against countries that resist capitalism, such as Cuba, Venezuela, Iran. You know, et cetera. And also, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, it's a dilemma we're facing. And uh, the only uh, and uh, the only way out of it is through political, permanent political organization. The time when, uh, when, when 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 individuals can operate outside of organizations has long since passed, and uh, it behooves everybody that cares about the interests of working people to belong to an organization that is actively working for our people's liberation. Haki? Yeah, well, you know, let me just take a slightly different perspective in terms of the decline of capitalism. So when you talk about capitalism being in crisis, I think one of the things we have to acknowledge, there is a concerted effort about people in positions of power to consolidate that power and that control. So what happens is that, you know, often we talk about neoliberalism. And in fact, all we're simply saying is that those people with positions of power, those people who own the most assets, those people who are the wealthiest, uh, want a situation in which they can actually capitalize on others. And so this notion of this desire to capitalize off others has no bounds. So it doesn't matter whether you capitalize on someone who makes seven twenty-five an hour or you're capitalizing on somebody making $25 an hour. It doesn't matter. The main point is it's, it's all about the consolidation of power. And so one of the things when you talk about the consolidation of power, uh, one of the things, you know, uh, you know it, it, it does, there's, there's, no, there's no definitive line to be, to be crossed. Uh, in other words, if, you, if the pursuit of power uh, is, is, is a thing to achieve, because actually, I'll think about it. 
capitalism is all about it's all about power. That's that's all it is in Russia. It's about power. It's about power. In the context of capitalism, how do you achieve power? Well, it's, it's reflected in terms of wealth. And so, therefore, the struggle around you know wealth, you know, you know, building lots and lots of wealth is their primary motivation. And so, one, so one of the things they do, and, and just as Brother Anthony is right when you talk about the fact, you know, that in terms of this everlasting uh, desire, you know, to expand, uh, it creates problems because the bottom line is that if, 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 in terms of how capitalism works, if you continue to expand, it ultimately will lead to scarcity. And so, therefore, it's a real, irony, a real paradox for the capitalists. Nonetheless, because power is so germane to them, it really doesn't matter. So you look at a situation where essentially the, the, the planet is, is burning up, essentially. You look at a situ- situation where overwhelming number of people in the world are, are, are impoverished. It doesn't matter to them because what, what, what matters to them is the pursuit of their power. And so, therefore, I, I think that, uh, you know, so when, they, so when they implement neoliberal policies, I think they do so with a rec- with a rec- with an understanding is that it's not going to contribute to the public good because they're not concerned about the public good, but what it will contribute to is their bottom line. Again, that bottom line translates into power. So the more money they have, the more power they have. So I think that's their, their motivation. And so, so when we talk about the destructive nature of capitalism in terms of the feeding on itself, that's precisely what it's doing. So when we talk about you know, interventions in, in Africa or Central America, in terms of you know uh, looting the resources of those those places, well that's all geared toward the empowerment or, or, or the wealth create or in, in, actually increasing wealth uh, at the expense of others, and so therefore it doesn't make any sense that once you once you capitalize on other people's wealth, the bottom line is that you know you in terms of how you use those resources, you use them in a way in which is really counterproductive, but it really doesn't matter. You can you can use resources to a, to a way in which not only you ensure a scarcity, but you also ensure that, that that people don't have access to the things they need, like food and shelter, which means that they don't have access in terms of actually producing. But in, in the, but in the capitalist mind, the whole point is that it's it's, it's not relevant because if you, fewer people are doing the work, it's no longer necessity. Now you have automation, and so therefore automation takes the place of all of these people. And so, therefore, the, desi- the desire for wealth and power does, is not is not uh, is not upended. Uh, in other words, uh, they'll continue to make that money, and they'll make even more money with, with automation. So clearly, you know, we so we got to realize that when we talk about the uh, ca- uh, capitalism in crisis, we got to understand that this is part and parcel of how capitalism is structured. And so, for those people around the world who work together to facilitate, uh, uh, you know, uh, neoliberal policies around the world. Uh, they understand that in order for them to 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 in order for them to prevail, one of the things they must do is they must find some ingenious ways in terms of eliminating people around the world. Because in their mind, large number of people are esoteric; they're superfluous. In other words, they can't contribute any wealth to me because if you're unemployed, or you're homeless. You can't contribute any wealth to them. So in a capitalist mindset, you need to be gone. And so you have to find some ingenious way in terms of getting rid of people. And so when we talk about this question around war, uh, in many ways the war manifests itself. Uh, yes, it's done not only in terms of the material needs, it's also done psychologically. Either way, it has a very debilitating character in which it actually wears people down, ultimately leading to shorter lives, which is precisely what those in positions of power want around the world, not just in the United States, but throughout the Western world. So clearly, if, if, if so nations like, like uh, Africa, Central and South America 
if they don't come to realization, you know, that they have to establish a new paradigm, if they continue to play ball with the West, then they're inviting their own destruction. But those of us in the belly of the beast who don't understand the, the, the reality in terms of the situation, to the extent that we continue to play ball, then we do so at our own demise. And we shouldn't deceive ourselves into believing that somehow there's a moral, con, con, uh, more, uh, moral uh, um, character uh, to capitalism. Because morality is not part of capitalism. It never was, never will be. So I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Okay, so we go on our station break. Anybody else would like to respond to what has been said? I, I just want to say that Brother Hakeem is uh, right on point that uh, uh, with everything. But there's something that's happening now that I don't think I've ever seen before, and that is uh, – the Democrats had an op- or Congress had an opportunity to squash these oppressive voter laws that 18 states have implemented, but they did not. The Congress had an opportunity to extend the moratorium on evictions. They had an, all of this could have been done and with no problem. Why did that not happen? And the thing that I've never seen before is now they've figured out a way to make a profit off of the poor. Is this industrialized housing where the federal government has been going out of the public housing business of housing people and put it into private, the private sector? And the private sector has you pay a third of your income in rent and the government pays, quote, market rent. So we are helping prop up the capitalist. What is market rent? Well, if market rent is $2,500, you should have market environment. You should have your swimming pool, tennis court. You should have your geothermal floors. You should have your solar panels on the roof. But that's not what these people get in this subsidized industrialized housing. So the the capitalist economy or the capitalist nations, I don't see, I don't know whether or not it's falling, but I know that right now we're at a strange point in history where there are not that many educated, bright people in Congress. There are only a few. Cheney, um, Nancy Pelosi, you know, it was Pamela Harris, but now she's the vice president. There was Biden, but now he's the president. But we're finding these people that are QAnons and believing in conspiracy theories and just outrageous human beings. So there's a time for everyone right now to register and vote. But what the question is, will you be able to vote? And we need to uh, Eleanor, Congress. Can I stop you for a second? Mm-hmm. Vote yes. for who, Eleanor? I think the same phenomenon you're describing historically has always been the case. Fundamentally, there are no difference between the two parties. There's no accident why the Democratic yes. Party has intervened to stop the voter suppression that's going on in these, in these um, states. It says something. How long is it going to take us to get the message? I don't, you know. <laughs> so who the well, hell you can vote for? Is, you you vote for Joe Biden. Well, 
That may not be anything well, for the African community, but, but it just finds things worse. They see all these voter suppression laws going on. If the Democratic Party has the executive branch and Congress, both houses in the majority, and they tell you they can't do nothing for you, what's what's rationale you keep voting for these people? Well, that's why we run our we run our own candidates. We groom and run our own candidates, like Stacey Abrams. We run our own cam- candidates. <laughs> and remember, when we think about the Mother Earth, we have to think about voting the same way. We have to think about our micro community and our macro community. So in terms of the micro community, you run your local folks, the people that are organized, you run the socialist candidates, you run folks, and you make sure they're politically correct, and you make sure that they maneuver enough, like that group, Alice, that we organize and we have people that draft the legislation that we want to see passed, that that develops the speaking points that we want to hear. And you make sure we don't do anything to isolate the electric while we're educating and politic- politically uh, organizing. So you may be... Eleanor, uh, we want candidates under what, what name, what umbrella, and see if we can find ourselves functioning under the capitalist system. Where these fundamental changes can come from? If we continue to operate like that, they're going to come from the people. They're going to come from the electric. And you're right, there is no real fundamental difference in the Democratic and Republican Party until I'd say in the last five or six years, when when the Republican Party has cracked, it is following a a neo-fascist who has. Uh, organized an insurgents uh, against the U.S. government. So we we know the Republicans aren't on the side of the American people because they have Donald Trump in charge of their party, and he led an insurgents against our country. So there is a time for change, and for the first time we can see a difference in these two parties. Anytime a president of the United States leads an insurgent and he's encouraging people to arm themselves and take over the U.S. Capitol, there's a big difference right now. There's a wide divide. Normally there is no difference between the the Democrats and the Republicans. But there's a huge divide right now. I don't think that that divide is as huge as it seems. Um I uh, uh let's see a lot of uh, a lot of the, the 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 policies that were implemented under Trump for example especially international policy Biden is uh followed to a T. Oh. And uh so uh the uh let's see i think the difference between the democrats and republicans is mainly in style primarily in style not uh not uh so much in in uh in principle 
but in uh in uh in uh, in, in style and uh you know i i go back to the uh to malcolm's uh, wolf and fox analogy uh the Dem- the democratic party be- behaves more like foxes uh you know they'll that 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 they'll that they'll pretend to be your friend and whatnot, but they won't lift a finger for you when the uh you know when the wolf strikes and 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 also the thing you gotta understand is that when we talk about democratic republican access, we have to understand they're all funded by the wealthy. Let's be clear about it. They're all funded by the wealthy. The system is set up to make sure that you have access to money. How do you have? How do you gain access to money? By playing ball. We got to understand that. I mean, that's that's not difficult to understand. So even if we got together and said we want, we, we identify some brothers and sisters that we want in positions of power, and we're gonna get behind them, and we're gonna get them elected. The problem is, if they lack lack principle, then what's gonna happen? They're gonna be corrupted. Because the more they play ball, the more money they can make. Problem, the problem is, I think, is that in the society, when we internalize the tenets of capitalism, when we start thinking that money defines us as human beings, that money is more important than anything at all, even important, more important than life itself, that once you buy into that mindset, then of course you're going to play ball. Let's be real about it. Let's be real about it. At least if you had a third party, you know, when you had candidates running, they understand fully what the issues are. They understand how the system works. They understand the importance in terms of, you know, uh, uh, directing energies toward some types of some type of reforms. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they're going to be able to, to, to actually bring about any real change. I'm talking about reforms, meaning they make some, some differences in terms of the extent that maybe at least people begin to understand, you know, that there's something fundamental wrong with the system. So we can get people to understand that something fundamental wrong with the system, then that's a huge leap forward. So we had that, so we had the politicians who had the third party represent the third party, who at least, at least expressed that point. Then we could move people forward. The problem is that a lot of people in society don't have a clue how the system works. They don't want to know how the system works. They are convinced that this is the greatest system in the world, and so they don't want to hear anything. If you if you don't, if you're not saying it's praises, they don't want to hear it. So you try to get them to understand how the system is structured, they think that either you're out of your mind or you don't know what you're talking about. And they're not going to take the time to research it to find out if you're telling the truth or not because they're vested in this notion that, in fact, this is the best system in the world. Let's be clear, Eleanor. We've got to understand this. You know, when we talk about this thing of politics, we've got to understand precisely where we are. It's fine to be idealistic, but at some point we have to become not only pragmatic, but we have to become realistic in terms of what we're up against. This system, you yourself talks about the fact when you talk about the, the, the voting right disenfranchisement going, going, taking place throughout this country. Well, you see, that should be the fight for the, if the Democrats are sincere, that would be a, 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 a major point of contention. You would think they would, spend, they would spend all that time and effort and money to make sure that that doesn't materialize. Also, in lip service, there have been no concrete actions taken to make sure that that doesn't happen. You ask yourself, so why is that? Why, on one hand, you profess to care about the African vote, but then on the other hand, you 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 you, you lack of days ago when it comes to actually uh, formatting some type of movement to prevent 
the, the, the disenfranchisement of African votes. So you got to ask yourself, what is what is that irony? What is what is that? What are they really saying to me? You know. And this is what we have to understand. Well, and see, as long as we're stuck up in this idealism that what we think it should be and not what it is, then we're gonna be we're in trouble. And this is the problem. And one of the things that when people say, well, we, you know, it's, it's fine to intellectualize, but you know what? We we don't intellectualize enough because if we did this shit 40 years ago in terms of trying to tell people how this shit really works, we wouldn't be in this predicament now. Now we're in this predicament. We have to intellectualize because we got to try to bring people up to the snuff in terms of understanding how the system works. Most people still don't understand how the system works. So how the hell are you going to move forward if people fundamentally don't understand how the system works? How are you going to move forward? You can't. And then well, you got your black conservatives. You got your black. And I'm exclude this. You got your black conservatives well, espousing espousing not foolishness. You know what I mean? And people gravitate toward that simply because it's it's consistent with what they've been taught to believe. The 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 the, 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 you, the supposition of, of 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 black 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 conservative thought is that the less you know, the better off you are. The less you know, the better you're able to participate in the system. I maintain the less you know, the less capable you are interacting in the system. The problem with our people, if we don't understand what the hell is going on, we can't work together to try to change this because we don't understand what's going on. That's no frame of reference. That's just a conservative position. A progressive position is that, damn, you've got to know what's going on because in order for you to change this, in order for you to protect, it, protect, your, children, protect your children's growth, to, check their, to protect their mentality, to protect you know, their innocence, to protect all those things that are so vital to them in terms of your know, academics, you've got to understand what, the, what, the, what, what, what kind of forces are coming at them. If you don't understand that, you can't protect your children. They're vulnerable to the forces that, who don't have their best interests at heart. This is a fundamental problem, so we've got to stop pretending like we like like everything is fine and start being realistic and understand that when it comes to the system, the system is diametrically opposed to the interests of African people, poor people across the board. And it's that simple. Well, All right, Alice, you are oh cool. Can I share something? Go ahead, Sister Eleanor. Go ahead. Um, Brother Akeem is uh, is absolutely correct, but what's interesting is that what of these individual politicians? For example, we have a Democrat in West Virginia in a in a heavily conservative state, so he wiggles around and he probably w- wouldn't vote in favor of the John Lewis uh, bill simply because of that. So that so we have these individual politicians who have their own agenda, and their agenda is being reelected. It's a very comfortable life, much far beyond the salaries, and uh, that these uh, that Congress enjoys, and uh, they are sheltered in an in, they are in an intellectual environment. But what has happened in our country? And you are right, Brother Akeem. Once Ronald Reagan was elected, legislatively, there were uh, actions taken to change uh, the way journalists had to report and present information. So you begin to have people giving point of views rather than facts, 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 so that folks could make a decision on their own. And we're 41 years down the road 
into the Ronald Reagan, I guess they would call it the Ronald Reagan Revolution. And it has disenfranchised the American people because they are are uninformed and uneducated. And now we have the information age and we have these algorithms that are showing us what we like to see so we don't have an opportunity to have clarity. But remember, I still believe, Brother Hakeem, that on a micro level, uh, uh, not macro, but on a micro level, maybe on a macro, but on a micro level, we can control our political environment through the electorate. That's why these 18 states are passing these oppressive laws, because this is a year for the redistricting They're redistricting the voter boundaries. That's why they're passing these oppressive laws, because they saw for the first time that the working class could take over and have an impact through the electorate, because Americans hadn't been voting for decades. We, of any democracy, we come out the least to vote. But during 2020, more folks came out than had come out in decades. So we can control our local political reality. You can start with your local ombudsman, with your magistrate, with your mayor, with your council persons. You really, uh, you can. That's why they, they meaning, the uh, state legislature, legislators such as uh, in Georgia and Texas and Minnesota and these throughout this Nevada, Arizona, that's why they pass these ridiculous laws because they want to make sure that they control the power of the electorate. They want to disenfranchise the electorate. They saw what voting could do in this country, and they don't want it to happen again. So we're at a turning point. We need a revolution, but we can have a revolution through the electorate, and we're going to have an economic and political revolution to change this country. I believe it. Okay, panelists, our email is small remarks um, for today as relates to maybe as to why African people don't vote. I think they realize the lessons that Marty left us and once stated that you may fool the people some of the time, but you can't fool the people all the time. So on that note, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have our final thoughts. This is Africa on the move. Up. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a calling terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that have 
that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Lumumba was democracy. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America can stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame when they drop the bombs out of them planes using depleted uranium? Babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal. Ain't nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man. Neo-colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, fuck it, I'll do it. A master of the skies, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should have known he was trained in Chicago. Word the chairman, Fred and Mark Clark. What they do in the dark will come out in the light. Like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess the crew was right. Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism, I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living.
fire. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We'll make our we'll be making our closing statement. First if we can keep it within a minute or so. Right now we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses on our open topic tonight. What's on your mind? Give us your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Yes, um Although the working class spontaneously gravitates towards socialism, as Lenin pointed out in what is to be done, he also said that socialism is a science and must be pursued as a science. That is, it has to be studied. Lenin says the class struggle takes place on three fronts, the political struggle, the economic struggle, and the theoretical struggle. The theoretical victory of Marxism forces opportunists to cloak themselves in Marxist clothing, yet the struggle remains between the correct path and the incorrect path. So we're all for scientific socialism. The question is, how do we accomplish it, and what is the correct way of going about it? Uh, As for the economic crisis, we will never forget that it is a political economy. Real people engaging in real activities that determine how goods and services are divided between them. Politics determines economics, always has and always will. Therefore, who is in control of the states makes a big difference. And so we got the power, the struggle is for state power, and it takes a political party to, to accomplish that task. It has to be organized and with a clear vision, a clear objective. I thank you for this evening. It's been a pleasure. Good night. Good night, Brother Moses. Next we'll go to Sister Eldor. You'll find the thoughts for tonight, Sister Eldor. Oh, I just want to say thank you so much. And I want to um, um, say to Brother Maurice, who wasn't with us tonight, congratulations on his marriage. I want to let Sister Shirley know that she's in our thoughts and prayers. And I want to say that Brother Robert said something. He's profound, Brother Moses, in that the state, he talked about the state. Well, one thing about this place being a republic, this United States of America being a republic, is states have a great deal of power. So how do we defeat these capitalists state by state, municipality by municipality? That's one strategy. And there should be many as our plan, as we develop a national plan, that should be a part of our plan to take over state by state. Just as the Republicans have passed this oppressive voter legislation, that's because they know that we can do it state by state. So we have to work together and remember family's important, and in a crisis, none of us can make it alone. So together, we are strong. So with that in mind, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's program. And uh, just think about one thing, health care, education, food, and housing are a basic human right. And we need for each nation to bring this to the UN and have it be a part of the United Nations Charter 
that all of these things are fundamental human rights. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, for your contribution to today's program. We next will go to Brother Haki, your final thoughts tonight. Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, one of the things when we, when we talk about being realistic, I think it's important we understand that uh, capitalists doesn't have our interests at heart. I think once we understand that, I think then we begin to realize that we need a different um, paradigm in terms of, you know, how society should be organized. Uh, the mere the mere idea that they have a, such a uh, a a a, a, a uh, overwhelming response to countries like uh, like Cuba, Venezuela, you know, who are trying to do uh, what's best for the hum- humanity, the mere fact that they are adamantly opposed that speaks volumes in terms of their discontent and the dislike for anything that smacks of uh, socialism uh, or anything that smacks in terms of collectivism. So clearly, you know, uh, you know uh, what is happening is not working for the masses of people. It's important. We have to realize it's not working for the masses of people. And as always, Brother Africa, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm very concerned about is that, you know, uh, you know, while we need organization and we need these institutions, the bottom line is that we have to have some understanding in terms of the necessity of those things. So without that understanding, that that then we can never uh, 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 embellish that uh, necessity in terms of, you know, why institutions and organizations are needed in this perilous time. Having said that, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. And, uh, you know, without taking a good hard look at what's going on, without understanding precisely what they're doing, uh, then it, 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 it makes it that much more difficult in terms of moving forward. So clearly we've got a work cut out for us, and I encourage people to get about the business, you know, getting that work done, you know, educate yourself. Uh, talk with other people like minds in terms of trying to figure out the the, the, the the standard of it all. And once you come to the understanding the standard of it all, then you understand some imperative why change is so desperately needed. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Good night to you, Brother Hockey. Thank you for your contribution to today's program. Next, we go to Brother Afty. Brother Afty, you'll find the thoughts for tonight. Um. My final thought for tonight is uh, we focused upon uh, several facets of of the problems confronting Africans worldwide and inside the U.S. And uh, my final thought for tonight is that Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, is the ultimate solution to the problems facing African people worldwide, including um, uh, things like uh, homelessness, uh, unemployment, drug addiction, etc. And uh, and uh, we have to be about the business of getting our people organized to achieve this objective. Uh, one uh, one source of information about Pan-Africanism is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. 
org. On that website, you can find out more information about the history of our objective uh, and uh, more information about the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and how you can get involved and uh join and support our efforts to achieve Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Ashley, and thank you to listen to audience, friends, and supporters of Africa on the Move. Remember, this is a program that comes on every Sunday evening. Starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. It's a tool where we can express our ideas, our understanding, as well as sometimes our confusion. But we know when we struggle collectively, we normally come up with the best solution. And that's what we're trying to do. Because we understand that without information, you cannot think. We also understand why organization cannot think clearly. So we encourage everyone who truly will make that contribution to their people, to their movement, and to humanity in order for it to go forward. We must be organized. So we just encourage you, let's get organized. Organization is the weapon for the oppressed. Until next week, we can always try to go forward with level. This is Brother Africa, and for everybody else, we want you to remember that Africa is on the move. We we'll see you next week. Michael, eles não ligam pra gente.
Cause if you come from Clarendon And if you come from Portland And if you come from Westmoreland You're an African So don't care where you come from As long as you're a black man You're an African No mind your nationality Have got the identity of an African But if you come from Trinidad And if you come from Nassau And if you come from Cuba You're an African So don't you where you come from Come 